Our scripture reading today is Matthew 21, verses 1 through 10. It's in the bulletin. I'll give you a minute to turn there in your Bibles. And this is called the triumphal entry. So Matthew 21, 1 through 10. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to all of you, and happy Palm Sunday. You know, I love what Chad just mentioned a moment ago about being in Jerusalem. Molly and I were there almost two years ago, and I remember standing, I remember we were standing on a small mountain just to the east of Jerusalem. And from that mountain, you could have a panoramic view of the old city of Jerusalem. And we learned that we were standing on the Mount of Olives. This is the very mountain that is spoken of in this passage. And if you were standing there on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives rises to about 300 feet above the old city of Jerusalem, and you look out over it with that, with that expansive view. And if you're standing there, you can take yourself back 2,000 years to that first Palm Sunday, where Jesus, riding on a colt, went into Jerusalem. He went down the hill, the Mount, Mount of Olives. He crossed the Kidron Valley, and then he entered Jerusalem. And along the way, there were all these crowds there, crowds that had come from Galilee, the surrounding villages, and from Jerusalem. And it says that they were laying their, their, their cloaks before him. They were giving him the red carpet treatment, and they were putting branches in the, in the road. And we learned from the other gospels that those branches were palm branches, palm branches. And that is why we refer to this coming of the king Sunday as Palm Sunday. And you know that first Palm Sunday, two, nearly 2,000 years ago, when, uh, when Jesus went down that mountain. It's interesting, one of the things you can, when, you, when you're standing there, you realize 
that history tells a story. These were historical events Matthew wrote within the lifetime of people who witnessed those events. If they were not true, they could have been refuted. History tells a story. The other thing you see in this passage is that geography tells a story. So you see in the first couple of verses, you'll notice that Jesus went to, came from a little town called Bethphage. I'm not even sure I pronounced it correctly, but it was a village on the Mount of Olives that Jesus stopped at. Prior to that village, we know from elsewhere in the Gospels that Jesus had been in Bethany, which was the home of Mary and Martha. That was the Airbnb that Jesus stayed at during Easter week, during Passion Week, between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. Jesus stayed there. In fact, in all likelihood, Jesus would go down. If you read the accounts of Passion Week, you have Jesus going to Jerusalem and turning over the tables and teaching and answering people's questions. It was, this, it was the Passover season, so there were crowds that were there. And there was all this controversy about Jesus. And so every night, Jesus would go back to Bethany to his Airbnb and he would spend the night just outside of Jerusalem and then he would go back in. And this whole time, there were people conspiring to kill him because he was a threat to the existing order. So with that, with that background, knowing that history tells a story, knowing that geography tells a story, knowing that archeology, span the excavation of ruins you find in Jerusalem, it tells a story, it tells a true story. And what Matthew gives us here is the meaning of that story. You know, this whole idea of Jesus choosing to go into Jerusalem riding a colt. They say that this was actually an acted parable. It was part of the story. We can join the witnesses back then and we can see Jesus coming down that mountain on a colt. And if this had been a stage play, you would have seen Jesus in the center of the stage and the crowds around him chanting Hosanna and the palm fronds being thrown in front of him and the cloaks being thrown in front of him. But if this were a stage play and the spotlight was on Jesus, your eyes could turn over to the side of the stage and you would see two unnamed disciples who played a role in that epic event. I say the disciples were unnamed. We don't know who they were. But these were two guys that Jesus talked to and he says, I'm gonna enter the town in a little while, I want you guys to go get me a colt and bring it back to me so that he could ride down on that colt. If you look back at the passage of scripture, notice what it says in verse six about these unnamed disciples. It says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. For some of you this morning, this might be your first Palm Sunday sermon, so we're gonna explain the whole passage. Others of you, You've listened to a lot of Palm Sunday sermons, but what we want to do today is we want to highlight these two disciples because these two disciples who did exactly what Jesus told them to do, they were unnamed disciples. In effect, they were on his majesty's secret service. Who was the majesty? That was Jesus. We read about that earlier in the service, Psalm 93. We sang about his majesty on his majesty's secret service. Because the spotlight was on Jesus, 
These were unnamed disciples. They were on his majesty's secret service, but they were on his service. In other words, Jesus gave them an assignment and they obeyed that assignment. And I remember weeks ago, looking at this passage, knowing that we would deal with this passage, two words came to my mind about those unnamed disciples. Here are the two words, simple obedience. Simple obedience. So the aim of this sermon today, the aim of this sermon is to invite all of us in this room into his majesty's secret service and to engage for the rest of our lives in simple obedience. And in this story, as we tease out this story, as we take a look at it, you might be thinking, I'm not sure that I want to be on his majesty's secret service. I'm not sure that I want to give up this for that, what I'm doing here for that. I'm not sure that I want to engage in simple obedience. So what I want to do this morning is give you three really great reasons to be on his majesty's secret service because that is the invitation to you today. And some of you are at a spot in your lives where you're trying to decide whether you want to be in his service, whether you want to be engaging in simple obedience. I want to give you some really good reasons to do that. Three good reasons today. One is, the first reason is, the one who called him to it, the one who requests simple obedience. We're gonna talk about that. Secondly, the providence that goes with it, that goes with simple obedience on his service. And then thirdly, the purpose that makes it worth it. So let's talk first of all about the one who requests our service. There is a majestic one, there is a king, and there is a summons from that king where he is asking us to obey him and to follow him and to serve him. Look at what it says in beginning at verse one. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, we just talked about that, it says, then Jesus sent two disciples. He sent two disciples saying to them, and here's his instructions in verse two. Go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her untie them and bring them down. Jesus is the one who gives them this assignment. So it should make a difference to you and me what Jesus is like, what this majestic one is like, whether it's worth it to follow him rather than following other people, rather than following other gods, other idols. Why would we follow Jesus? And so I wanna talk about the one, who is this person who requested them to simple obedience. Look at verses four and five. This is, this is so cool here. Notice verse four, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Now, why would Matthew say that? Well, the, Matthew was a gospel writer. He was a follower of Jesus. His focus was on the kingship of Jesus. All throughout the book of Matthew, the focus is on the kingship of Jesus. And one of the things that he was doing is he was, he was writing to people who understood the Old Testament, which was written centuries before Christ even came. The time of David was a thousand years before. So they were familiar with the Old Testament, perhaps more familiar than a lot of us are here, but it's referring to, in verse four, the prophet Zechariah. 
Jesus did this to fulfill what the prophet was, had spoken. Throughout the entire Old Testament, there was this anticipation of the Messiah, meaning God's anointed king. This king would come to implement this rescue plan that God had to bring salvation to the world. And so there are all these, if you will, these pointers throughout the Old Testament, all these examples it's very much like your email address. If there are six or seven billion people on this planet and they all had a unique email address, people could use your email address and that email would go directly to you because it is a unique address. The prophecies of the Old Testament were very specific and of all the, the billions of people that have ever lived, there is one person that fulfills to the letter those prophecies made centuries before, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. So what he's doing here, Matthew says in verse four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Matthew understood what I just said. Now we go to verse five. Who is this king? Why would we follow him? Look at what it says in verse five. This is the quote from Zechariah chapter, five, chapter nine, verse nine. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Now that is good news. Behold, say to the daughter, your king is coming to you. That is good news. But what is this king like? He is humble and he is mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus chose to ride on a colt into Jerusalem in fulfillment of the promise. Remember, this is the majestic king. This is the divine son of God. And so when you think about what do I believe when I believe about Jesus, I believe he's the king, I believe he's the son of God, but we also see his humility exhibited in this acted parable by riding on a colt because he is not only the son of God, but he is perfect man, he is the humble man. And he's riding in, in, into Jerusalem in humility on a colt. Riding on a colt, it is said that kings in those days when they would enter into a city, if they would ride on a colt, it meant that they were coming in peace. Jesus was coming in peace, even though he knew that many in that city would ultimately rebel against him and nail him to a cross. But he was coming in peace because he's saying, I'm the prince of peace. He is coming in peace. He wept over Jerusalem. He had compassion for them. He wept at their resistance to him. He knew that they would rebel against his kingly authority, but he came in peace. The other thing that's really cool, we learn from the Gospel of Mark, is that this colt had never been ridden before. This was the first time it had been ridden. In other words, it, is, it, is, it was an untamed animal. Have you ever tried to ride an untamed horse? Untamed horse, it has to be, a horse has to be tamed so that you can ride on it. And so here you have this colt, this colt that Jesus rode on for the first time in calmness and serenity and in peace. What a picture of Jesus subduing our resistance. As we think about Jesus himself, one of the things that he does to us, that he does for us when we welcome Christ into our lives is he subdues our pride. He subdues, he, he tames our hearts. 
There's actually a, a really great hymn called Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, and it's got a stanza that says this, Jesus the name who calms our fears, who bids our sorrows cease. Tis music to the sinner's ears. It's life and health and peace. This is the Jesus who rode in on a colt. Alexander the Great, true story, in the fourth century also rode in to Jerusalem, but he rode on a war horse. Jesus didn't do that at this time. So the question for you and me is, who do you believe Jesus is and do you trust him? When I was 18 years old, I remember I was listening to a talk and the speaker got up and he said, at the end of my message, I'm gonna ask all of you a question. He said, I'm gonna ask you, are you willing to do whatever God wants you to do to be whatever God wants you to be and to go wherever God wants you to go? Do you have that willingness in your heart? In other words, do you have that tamed heart where you're willing to say to God, and, and then he said, at the end of my sermon, I'm gonna invite you to stand if you wanna say that to God and you mean that. Well, I'm an 18-year-old boy. I did not, I had no idea who would I marry, where would I work, what would my life be like. I didn't know anything, but I was a young Christian. I had to think about, would I be willing to trust God with my life? Would I be willing to, to to say, I want simple obedience, I want to be on my master's secret service as an 18-year-old man, would I do that? And I thought about that because I didn't want to be sincere, and I remembered three things about God. One is that he is all-powerful. He is the king, but secondly, he is loving. He has my best interests at heart, and he is totally in control. He is all-wise. He knows everything that could happen to me, I can trust him. And on that day, as an 18-year-old young man, I stood and said that to God. Now, I haven't done that perfectly throughout my life, but that was a moment for me, and what helped me to do that was to realize that in my heart, I needed to trust God. So here's my first question for you this morning. Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to trust this one who came as a king on a cult, would you trust him with your life, and is he your king? So that's the one who requests our obedience, the majestic king. That's enough, but let me give you a second reason why it's worth it to trust God, because some of you here today might be thinking, if I decide that I want to obey God, what is my life going to be like? What is going to happen to me? Why don't I seize back control? Why don't I be like a cult just throwing Jesus off of me? Why would I continue to follow Jesus? There's a second reason in this passage, and that is the providence that goes with it. There is the one who requests it, but secondly, there is the providence that goes with it. Notice what happens. I want you to see the providence of God in verse two again, look back at Matthew 21, two. It says, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied. Now Jesus knew, Jesus knew that there would be a donkey in the village. He did not have to go there. There would be a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. So Jesus went before them and arranged for this donkey and this colt. And then in verse three it says, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them 
and he will send, he will send them at once. And that's an amazing thing. Jesus, what this passage is saying is that he sent these disciples on an assignment, but he went before them and he says, this is what you can expect. I'm gonna go before you, I'm gonna give you this donkey, and if anybody even talks to you about it, say, the master needs it, and he'll let that cult go with you. Pretty amazing, that is the providence of God. It is the belief, it is the understanding that God has a good plan for our lives and that he goes before us. Now, I realize that for some uh, in this room, the word providence might be a word that's just sort of thrown about as a Christian term, as a theology term, but what does it really mean? I want you to turn, there's a quote in your bulletin that I wanna read to you. It's the middle quote near the front of your bulletin. It's from a study Bible, but I thought it was a great statement about the providence of God. It says, providence is a precious truth of scripture for believers. It teaches us that we are never in the grip of blind forces. Notice what it says there, we're never in the grip of blind forces, such as fortune, chance, luck, or fate, and not even astrology. You're never under the, under the uh, control of blind forces, but always in the hands of our loving, merciful, heavenly Father. Each event, notice this carefully, each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice with the sure knowledge that everything that happens to us and through us is for our good. That is an amazing way to live your life. Now you say, well Mike, is that biblical? Does God go before us when we go on assignment? We just finished our Ephesians series, and Ephesians 2.10 says that we, all of us here, are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You have your own cult that God has planned for you. You've got your own plan for your life. Whatever it is, you are created by God. You are his workmanship. He has good works for you to walk in, and he goes before you. I've had a few examples of this uh, over the years in my life, and now I almost expect it every day to think that God will go before me. Years ago, our daughter Sarah worked in Spain, in Bilbao, Spain, for a couple of years, and while she was there, she had a roommate by the name of Amy Campbell who roomed with her her second year, and Molly and I went over one time. We got to visit Sarah. We got to meet Amy. Turns out that Amy was engaged, and Sarah eventually went to Amy's engagement party in Liverpool to a young man by the name of Mark. Turns out his name was Mark McKinney. She ended up marrying Mark McKinney. She is now Amy McKinney. Mark and Amy McKinney, after their wedding, came to Orlando for our daughter Sarah's wedding, and while they were here, they learned that we were searching for a new youth director. And so I got to know Mark for a while, and Mark said, hey Mike, would it be okay if I put my name in the hat for that? I don't know if you use that. I don't know if Irish people say put your name in the hat, but can I put my name in the hat for youth director? I said, sure, we'll think about it. We, we exhausted our list of people, and uh, I remember we were, our group, our team was looking, and. Uh, Jordan Holbrook said, hey, why, what about that guy from Liverpool? Maybe we should check with him. And we got him on a video call, and we did a quick interview, and we started talking to him, and that person was Mark McKinney, who came here to become our youth director. He now serves as our worship leader 
that's providence. I remember another time when uh, Molly and I were about to um, invite a bunch of people, many of them who do not yet have faith in Christ, to our home for a dinner group called Christianity Explored. And I remember there was one person that I thought that I would invite, I would send an email to the person to invite this person to be a part of this course. This person was not, at the time, following Jesus, didn't fully understand the gospel, but she was a friend of a friend. I sent her an email, and then after that email, she replied back and she said, this is amazing, I have been looking for a group like this one and she came and became part of our Christianity Explored group. I remember another time when Molly and I moved to where we live now, we're involved in the early days of the church, this was about 10 or 11 years ago, and we wanted to have a St. Patrick's Day party in our, in our home to just kind of get to know our neighbors and welcome our neighbors there. And I remember I was going around, and a lot of times in these neighborhoods, you notice in neighborhoods people don't talk very much to each other. So I was going, I'd just go knock on doors and say, hey, I want to invite you to our St. Patrick's Day party. So I kept on doing that. And then I said to Molly, I said, Molly, let's do one more door. Let's just do one more door. And it's one of those deals where it's just simple obedience. It's just simply on his, his majesty's secret service. And, but we were tired. Do we want to just do one more door? And we knocked on this one door. And this nondescript person answered the door. Uh, didn't seem super excited about us. But we invited him to our party. He came to our party. That was Reed Zelke, one of our deacons, brought his wife, Britta, one of our deaconesses. They went on to become highly influential in our church and lead our medical mission to Nicaragua, start a whole organization with Chris Kendall about that. That's providence. That's amazing. One last one I'll just mention to you because so exciting to see when God works. Uh, a few weeks ago, I learned that, we learned that uh, Margarita Smith and her husband, Corey, were going to move away. She'd been our wonderful church administrative manager for the last two years. And uh, when you want to hire people for these roles, you want to get the right person. You want to search for that needle in a haystack. And we knew that we wanted to do an internal hire. We started thinking of some individuals. But there was one person on my heart that I wanted to ask, uh, a person who'd been involved in our church for two years, that was Allison Epps. And I remember I sent a text to her. I said, Allison, there's something I want to talk with you about. Could I call you? She texted right back. She said, hey, I'm free right now. I called her up and I said, hey, this might be crazy, but I just want to let you know that something just happened. And I wonder if you'd be interested in considering this role. She says, well, what does it involve? I said, this is what it involves. She says, well, that, you know, I think I could do those things. And then she said, you know, it is she said, this is just the right timing that you called. I'm so excited that you called. And then Molly and I met with her, went through the job, things li lined up. And, and this weekend, Allison Epps starts her job as our new administrator. And we are so excited about what God has done. That is providence. That is God going before us. And I could go on and on. Now, some of you might say, well, Mike, what about hard things that happen? What about suffering and sorrow and loss and COVID and on and on? What about hard things? Is that part of providence too? The answer to that is yes. Sometimes that is referred to as a severe providence, but it's in those times that you don't doubt the goodness of God, that God 
God turns all things to the good for those who love him. He has that plan for us. And the best example of that would be coming up right after Palm Sunday. It would be on Good Friday when Jesus would go to the cross. And we learn from Acts chapter 2 that was part of the sovereign plan of God. That was the providence of God. All these bad guys thought that they, that, that they were the ones doing it. Oh, no. They were, but God also had a plan. And the greatest event in history, the, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ were planned by God. It was a severe providence. And so often we go through that very same, well, not the very same thing. But we go through that severe providence. Uh, providence, but the cross is an example of that. Well, there's the person that requests our simple obedience. There is the providence that goes with us, with it. And there's, we're going to close with this thought too. There is the, um, there is the purpose that results from it. There is the purpose that God brings about through our obedience. Because what happened in this story is that the people from Galilee combined with the people of Jerusalem and there was this procession of praise going down the Mount of Olives, through the Valley of Kidron, in through St. Stephen's Gate and into Jerusalem. That was the result of that. That was the purpose of that. And there was all this acclaim. What was going on? There were people saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. And it echoed the, the, the praise of the angels at Christmas, glory to God in the highest. The people were, were shouting Hosanna. That was the outcome. There was the worship and the reception of the king. There were the palm branches. But not only that, it says that when Jesus got into Jerusalem, that, that, that it says that the people were stirred, but literally it was like an earthquake. There was the presence of God, the presence of the king going into Jerusalem was like an earthquake in Jerusalem. There was this powerful result from Jesus coming. And then at the end of this passage, we see in verse 11 where it says, who is this? And they said, this is the prophet. This is the prophet. They knew that this was the email address. This was the one person in all of history who would come in on this cult. And that was the outcome, the coming of the king. And that is why we engage in simple obedience because isn't it true, isn't it true that we as a church and that we as Christians in this period between the first and second coming of Christ, when we are on his majesty's secret service, we too are bringing in the king. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is what we pray for. That is what we live for. That is what we do every week when we worship here. That is what we do as we serve God. We are on his majesty's secret service. And the outcome of that makes it totally worth it. And I'll give you one example of that. So a guy in our church that was the first deacon we ever had. His name is Ernie Trainum, And I don't know if I see Ernie here this morning. Is he, is he out there? Well, just tell him we talked about him. You can do that. Anyway, so Ernie Trainum was our, our first deacon. And when, when Ernie retired as deacon, the deacon team decided to get a plaque that they would put on one of the chairs that we used to set up for worship. Because every week, not every week, every month, he would, he would show up and he would set up chairs and he was coordinating all these teams just like Chris Kendall does now. 
So when he rotated, when Ernie Trainum rotated off the Deacon team, we recognized him, we honored him with this plaque that would go on this chair, because what Ernie was doing in his own way, he was on his majesty's secret service. So Ernie knew, Ernie knew that when he put up a chair, that what, would, what someone would experience in that chair is they would experience a loud worship service where people would be shouting Hosanna, that they would experience this, prof this procession of people celebrating the king. They would experience people saying, who is this? That is the prophet. And people would come to know Christ and people would be changed and people would be worshiping God. And Ernie knew the outcome of what he did on his majesty's secret service. And whenever Ernie, whenever I tell this story, Ernie doesn't like me to tell it that often, but whenever I tell that story and I ask Ernie, what, what, what is going on in his heart when he does that? You know what he says? He will say to people, and he always gets choked up when he says it. And he says, I don't do it for the church. I do it for the Lord. And it's so powerful, the impact that Ernie Trainum has had. He's not in the spotlight. He knows it's all about Jesus and it's not about him. But simple obedience on his majesty's secret service, bringing in the kingdom. You guys, if you're thinking about whether you want to live a life of simple obedience for the rest of your life, if you're thinking about do you want to be with your life on his majesty's secret service, never forget who it is who asked you to do it. He is worthy of your trust. Never forget that his providence will always, will always go before you and his goodness will never change. And never forget that God, in an amazing way, uses small deeds of obedience to bring in his kingdom into the world. And isn't that what Palm Sunday tells us? Isn't that the story of Palm Sunday? Isn't that what we reenact each week in our worship service and throughout the week with our lives? I close with this one story. The year was, it was the summer of 1967. Candlestick Park, which was the old baseball stadium for the San Francisco Giants. There was a young boy there who for that day was invited to be the bat boy for the Los Angeles Dodgers. When that young boy came in, he was around some of the towering greatest figures of baseball history. There was Don Drysdale, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. That 14-year-old boy had his photograph taken with Don Drysdale, a great pitcher. He sat in the, in the dugout, and the manager of the Dodgers was one of the greatest managers of all time, Walt Alston. So Walt Alston was there. There was just this amazing thing. And then also in the dugout was Maury Wills, one of the greatest base stealers of all time from the 1960s. And on and on you could go. And then in the opposing dugout for the San Francisco Giants, that young 14-year-old boy could look across a baseball diamond and look in there and see Willie Mays, one of the greatest players of all of baseball history. And all that boy did was he was the bat boy. So when a hitter got up and swung his bat and ran, he would drop his bat and the bat boy would go out there, pick up the bat, and take it back to the dugout. And that 14-year-old boy got to be bat boy for a day. 
And as that game went on, you had have thousands of people in the crowds looking at all the famous players. There's Willie Mays, there's Maury Wills, there's Don Drysdale, there are these famous players. But few people took notice of that bat boy. But that bat boy, for the rest of his life, would look back at how simple obedience, being on the Los Angeles Dodgers secret service would be such an amazing memory. And I know that because that little boy was me. I still think back on that moment of being bat boy for the Dodgers and on the Dodgers secret service. And I look back over the years of my life and I have the picture, the photograph to prove it, even though nobody else would remember that day. But I would say that does not hold a candle to what you and I get to do because we are, we are participants in this epic story of Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter and the bringing in of God's kingdom and eventually the second coming of Christ which is just as surely prophesied as the first coming of Christ. We find ourselves as participants in that great story. And for all eternity, you and I will look back and say, I was glad I was there. I was glad I was part of it. I was glad that Jesus, the great king, gave me a role. So that is your invitation this morning. That is your invitation. Would you, in your heart, commit to simple obedience on his majesty's secret service? Let's pray together. Lord, we, we look at this story and we go, it's just amazing that it's true, that it really happened. Lord, all throughout history, this king who came to Jerusalem on a colt has been calling out a church, has been calling out a people who would be a part of making his invisible kingdom visible in a broken world, preparing for that day when the king would come again. Would you, Lord, despite our, our uneven obedience, our imperfect obedience, would you give us grace towards simple obedience? And it's in Jesus' name we pray.